Flat Out RC time. Welcome back to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Still coming to you from the land down under in Melbourne, Australia. Big shout out to everybody that is listening around the world because I know there are lots of people listening from around the world. There's more people listening to this podcast, actually. It's really had a bit of a boost in the past month. Uh, so the numbers are getting up there. Let's just claim it now. The world's best aero modeling podcast. According to myself, of course. <laughs> anyway, good show for you coming up. Uh, good special guest, uh, Michael Timms. A lot of laughs had. Uh, we'll find out my, about, a bit more about Michael later. But before we do, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. Okay, a bit of an update first. Don't forget, it's the last week of these special offers that we've got from uh, RC World and Scale Aero products. There's an NGH engine special at RC World, 10% off uh, any NGH petrol engine from rcworld.com.au. The NGH engine range, two and four-stroke engines, uh, two-stroke range starts at 9cc, goes all the way up to 70cc. Four-stroke range starts at 30, goes up to 60cc. I think there's about three models in that that four-stroke range. Of course, I've said this before, this, go and listen to the 60cc four-stroke twin uh, on YouTube. There's a few videos out there, the NGH 60cc twin, uh, and it's got that kablunk, kablunk, kablunk kind of sound, which I love. Uh, so 10% discount. All you need to do is use the code FLATOUTNGH, F-L-A-T-O-U-T-N-G-H, all capital letters, at the checkout, and you'll get 10% off any NGH engine. Really good quality engines. Uh, if you've got you know, a larger scale model or something like that, plenty of motors to choose from, a lot in stock at RC World. So visit rcworld.com.au, and don't forget, use the code FLATOUTNGH to get the 10% discount. Another offer from Scale Aero Products. Scale Aero Products offer a range of laser cut kits, Really, the range is getting bigger. I noticed that they've now got a an Aeroflight Albatross short kit on there as well, which is a model that I built oh, back in the, uh, I reckon it was late 80s to early 90s. It was actually my brother's. I don't know, I built it for him anyway. Didn't build it very well, I must say. But uh, you can get that, you can get Aeroflight Aries. And so there's gliders, there's warbirds, there's, you know, if you want a cub, there's probably a cub there. There's There's a range of different models there. Uh, and of course, you get a 10% discount by using the code FLATOUT10. That's one zero at the end. F L A T O U T 1 0. And you get a 10% discount. Website is scaleaeroproducts.com.au. That's A E R O products.com.au to get that 10% discount. Last week, runs to the end of November. Getting quick. Get yourself a Christmas project either an NGH engine to finish off that project or a laser cut kit from Scale Aero Products and you get those 10% discounts. So there you have it. Now, what's been on my mind, not a lot of new products and stuff happening at the moment, so not much to talk about on that front. Seems like the industry is struggling from lack of supply. I know that the uh, the team up at uh, Desert Aircraft Australia are bringing the uh, Pilot RC and Extreme Flight kits and some Compaf and DA engines, etc. cetera, uh, putting some emails out saying how, how difficult it is to get stock and they're, they're, they're doing their best, which they always do. They're a great bunch of guys up there. Uh, so that could be hampering new product development. Uh, freight costs are going up. 
I just have I have a gut feel that we're going through a time where we're going to see some inflated costs in the hobby, uh, you know, because of just external factors really that are driving up the prices. Um, but anyway, so something I've been thinking about lately is how often do you get out flying? You know, I've spoken to lots and lots of people now around um, aero modelling uh, for, for for many years, and I always see there's got these phases in people's aero modelling career or life. You have that if you if you're fortunate to start start off when you're a kid, you did a lot of flying with your dad, and of course your dad enjoyed taking you out there. And the reason why I say dad is we haven't heard many stories of mums. I do know there are some mums out there that are taking their kids to the flying field, and well done to them. Um, but, uh, you know, you've got that young era where you get out flying, you go down to the club with your dad or your mates, and you're really into it. Because, you know, when you're a kid, you don't have a lot of, you know, things on your plate that you need to manage. You've got school, of course, you might have sport, and then outside of that, your parents do everything else for you. So we see a lot of kids really get heavily involved. Then, of course, as we've seen, if you listen to this podcast for long enough, often with males, it, there's a gap. And generally, the uh, the fault is uh, finding girls and uh, cars. <laughs> cars seems to be the recurring thing. So we often see a bit of a slump in that 20s. And, and often people, it's a, near, it's, a, it's a time when people are either finishing their studies, whether they go to university or not, getting apprenticeships, or starting work. So priorities sort of change and the time to go aero modeling isn't there. And then comes the marriage and children phase. And that children phase can last a fair while from anywhere from early 30s all the way to late 40s and sometimes even longer for others. And you get busy working to fund your families and all that kind of stuff and, and kids sport and driving them around, which limits your time to get out flying. And then I see that there's the post-education era, I call it, which is Dad's got a bit more time on his hands now. Doesn't have to take the kid to uh, to sport because they can drive themselves, and off they go to the flying field. And then I think the best era is the retirement era when you finish working and you got a bit more time back. Which even though everybody that's retired says to me that they're busier than ever, uh, but hopefully that's good busy doing stuff that they want to do rather than stuff that they were sort of had to do. Uh, and that's where you see the great bunch of older guys at the club that are just having the time of their life with their aero modeling. And I, I, look, I've always said aero modeling is probably the world's best retirement hobby. And I can't wait till I'm retired. The only problem is I've got probably another 20 years to go, but I can't wait to be retired and go flying model aeroplanes. I'm in that middle patch. I'm in, you know, I'm a 48 year old man with two kids and a wife and a, and a, and a business as well. I run my own business and, I'm, I've also got this mindset that I'm interested in a lot of things. So you know, I'm playing a lot of table tennis at the moment. Uh, and my son's into table tennis, so I'm really supporting that. And I enjoy playing as well. So it's it's a win-win uh, that I get to spend some time with him and, and get him into something that he's interested in and then also participate in it as well. So, you know, if you, if you get to a weekend, you have to make the decision. What are you going to do? Am I going to go and ride my motorbike, go and play table tennis, go and fly my aeroplane? Go for a ski, snow ski in winter. And so your opportunities to actually go flying are really limited. And it's something that we've seen over the past couple of years with COVID, how, you know, we have been limited, forced through restrictions and things like that that we haven't been able to fly. 
But now our, down here in Melbourne, our, our restrictions are, are pretty free. Uh, and then but the, the, the disappointing thing is we had really wet weather and bad weather, so much so that my club actually shut the field because it was that wet underfoot. So the opportunities to actually go flying have been few and far between. I could have probably gone, um, this is a Sunday at the moment, Saturday was a good day, I could have gone flying, but I had to go to work. I've been really, really busy with work. And to me, my work at this stage of my life takes priority. So a lot of people say to me, oh, why don't you come for a fly on next Wednesday? And I'm like, nah, I've got to go and work. Uh, I've got plenty to do on my plate. And if I don't have plenty to do on my plate when you run your own business, you've got to be out there looking for more work so that you are busy because you make money when you're busy. Not many people make money from sitting on the rear end doing nothing. So that, my priority at the moment is work, um, kids, getting through uh, all, all that kind of thing and making sure that they're supported well. And then I see my hobby as fun. It's a leisure activity. I don't make any money from the hobby. Nobody wants to sponsor this podcast. I, I'm, I'm the sponsor. Silmarketing.com.au. That's my business. Go and have a look. If you need a video shot or something like that, come and see me. There you go. It's the first time I plug my business. But um, so but I always I still love aero modeling, and this podcast is probably the most active part of my aero modeling on a weekly basis, and something that I really love love doing and enjoy doing it. I always said that aero modeling is multi multifaceted. It's not about how many times you go to the flying field. It's it's all encompassing. It's when we talk to mates about it. I've got my my flying mates that I talk to. Oh, a lot uh, and you know messages go around oh there's a new plane for sale on rctrader.com.au and my answer is no we've got enough uh, but um, so wonder what your story is we hear a lot of people's stories and uh, it's up to you to decide how often you get out to the flying field uh, and hopefully it's more than less because we know nothing beats being at the flying field. I can't wait to get back for a fly. I, I, I can have one fly, one good day flying, and that mentally recharges me for, for weeks. Uh, and, and so the, hopefully the weather starts to improve, more clear days. Uh, I've started to speak this idea of coming into summer here down in uh, Australia, and that means it's gliding weather. And I can't wait to get some gliders up in the air. So... Send me a message if you want to tell me about how often you go flying and what your thoughts are on that. But you've heard mine now. That's that's what's been on my mind. Guest time, my favourite part of the podcast episodes uh, this week is a guy by the name of Michael Timms coming from all the way in uh, Mildura. That's where he lives. He originally was born in Wangaratta down here in Victoria. Uh, I met Michael last year before the Wang Jets event. Um, we sort of started communicating. He actually got some uh, turbine oil for me um, and met him at the event. And great guy. We have a lot of uh, mutual friends. Uh, Timsy's a full-size pilot, flies for Qantas um, in some of their regional work and is an avid aero modeler, as you will find out. And I'll tell you what. He's a unique man, as you're going to find out. So enough of my yakking. Let's just get into it. But stay tuned. This is a great chat with a good bloke. We are going almost north of the border. We're going up to Mildura. And joining me from Mildura is Michael Timms. Thanks for joining me here on the Flat Out RC podcast. Glad to be here, Andrew. How are you? Good. Now, we met at the uh, Wang Jets event. Yep. And... um, I was scouring 
the web going, who should I invite? Who should I invite? I went, ah, Timsy, we should get him on. And the more that I delve into your aero modeling, the broader it becomes. So we're going to, we are going to delve deeper, but first of all, tell me your story. How did you get started in this weird and wacky hobby? Um, from a very young age, as long as I can remember, I always loved aeroplanes. So I don't know it was around about 1980. I was about 10, like most kids, I suppose, got into radio controlled cars Got a, um, to me, a grasshopper and a frog with a Futaba Attack two-channel radio. Yeah. And mucked around with that for 12 months or so. And, yeah, was at a local flea market with mum and dad and saw an Aeroflight Super Trident 2500 glider sitting there. Oh, yeah. That was, had the wing covered and the fuselage was bare balsa, unfinished. So I think I think we paid five dollars for it. Perfect. Um, carried it back home and pulled my uh, grasshopper apart. Took the two channel radio and yeah, taught myself how to fly gliders. See, that's um, that's interesting. You know, where you're a few years older than me, but not 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 a lot older than me. And that was that era where when you drove RC cars, you had a stick radio. And I remember yep. the Futaba attacks were everywhere. They were sort of the, the duck yep. guts of the RC car kind of um, a radio. I've still got a, I've got a Sanwa set two channels mm-hmm. still. It's pristine, actually. Might be worth something at some point. I have still got my frog and grasshopper. Oh, the frog you? was actually my older brothers. But yeah. yeah, I've still got the frog and the grasshopper with the original boxes and radios sitting oh. in the shed. See, they're worth a lot now. <laughs> the original ones are worth a lot. My brother had a Hornet. Um, yep. And I remember. I remember running that into the concrete curve and breaking parts off it many times. So, okay, so you got you got this super trident, and what did you do? Did you how did you get it into the air? I yeah, basically put it together myself. How I thought it was meant to work, and as funny as it now sounds, I instead of pulling back on the elevator stick to go up, I thought pushing forward was up and pulling back was down. <laughs> so. I went to the local footy over once it was finished and thought this will be easy and I threw it. I pulled back, it went up, it stalled, it hit the ground, broke the fuselage in half. Perfect. Good start. So carried it home in two pieces or three pieces with the wing off and glued it back together and then I thought, well, instead of standing up and throwing it this time, I'll kneel on the ground so it doesn't fall as far. Hmm. And, yeah, over the period of probably another 10 to 20 throws, got the hang of what this was meant to be doing and, yeah, used to throw it around everywhere. There's something like that um, two-channel glider to learn all about stalling a plane. Mm. <laughs> you, yep. you quickly start to react when you know that, oh, yeah, the plane goes up and then it stops flying and then it drops and then you hit the ground. So maybe don't make it go up so steep so that it does that. That's it, and how much space it eats up before it starts flying again. Yeah, yeah. So so you just basically went to the park and threw this thing around. Yep. Did you ever get a bungee or anything else to get it up in the air higher? One, once I started doing that, there was a few other friends at school that we all sort of got together, and, yeah, one, one person had a bungee, and we'd all used to put our gliders over our shoulder hmm. with the wings on them and um, ride our push bikes to the local high school and set the bungee up and spend the afternoon just, catching thermals off the school and the road and everything like that, like you used to be able to do. Is that, where where were you, where were you living then? That was Wangaratta. Oh, in Wang. 
yeah, so I grew up there. That's so it right. was, it was pretty good there. at Wangaratta High School, yeah. Oh. Yep, and then we used to go to a paddock as well, which was some one of the friend's father's friends or something, and we could use their paddock. So we'd tie the bungee up to the fence at one end, depending which way the wind was blowing, and we were right. Mm. Remind me after this podcast, I know some people that probably your era at Wang High School. See if you know them. Okay. Yep. So yeah, Wangaratta would be a great spot for flying gliders. Yeah. Uh, yep. Out there. So okay. So then, so you you get up on the bungee, and oh, all these memories are flooding back of the bungee launches with the Aeroflight gliders. What was yep. the next step after that? Um, to start with, it was mainly progressing through a few different gliders. So we got right into the original Aeroflight Brolgers, and we used to scratch build those all the time and put oh, really? spoilers in them. <laughs> oh, did you? Yep. Yeah. Um, the local hobby shop was pretty big in selling the original pilot kits, so I had a few of those and had a one called a Harlequin, which is a two-metre fairly high-performance glider in its day and flew that for a while, and then it was like, got to get into powered flying, so I pulled the Mabuchi 540 out of a radio-controlled car and made a box fuselage and put the 7.2-volt battery pack in there with with the car old car speed control yeah, you know yeah. those sweet ones that used to be on the tamias yeah did the heat sink what's that sorry did it have the heat sink yep yeah yep. the ceramic yep, heat the one sink. like was in the yep that the, the frog had because the grasshopper only had the 360 motor so it didn't have a heat sink but um yep and yeah and had an aeroplane propeller that we made up this adapter and put it on the front and there was my first electric powered glider you are ahead of your time <laughs> yeah and we just would take any wing off a two meter glider or something like this strap it to the to this box fuselage and yeah you'd fly around Gee. so had the advanced ailerons by that stage it was still only rudder elevator so they were not the best coordinated turns, but you got some pretty decent flying out of it. So, hmm. what was the flight time like? Oh, really good. You because it's still thermal really well. So yeah, you could you could spend an hour up there quite comfortably. Oh, really? So it's basically use the pe- like you know. Yeah, well, you only what, use it to get up there, and then you'd shut the engine off. And was, was it a folding propeller or just a normal? no? No, it was just a normal nitro propeller. <laughs> oh, that's great. So it windmilled and everything. So it created drag, but we didn't appreciate drag or anything no. back then. We just knew it stayed up there. That's awesome. That is awesome. And so where were you flying? You were still flying down at local high school? Yeah, yeah. And in a, in a paddock or any time we went out to friends' farms, you'd always throw an air, a glider in and have some fun while you're out there. Yeah, plenty of farms around there. Yep. And, okay, so let's keep on going through the story. So now, yep. now you've got into powered flight. With your, you know, well, what year would that have been? Would that have been in the 80s? Yeah, that would have been about, oh, I don't know, about 82, 83. Nobody had electric planes back then. <laughs> it was heavy, but it flew. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it's good. Yep. good I like that. So then, yep. so, okay, so then let's keep on progressing. What happened after that? Um, was then I decided to get, have a go at this nitro stuff because we had, I suppose, just before we got the model cars We'd got a one of those Cox 049 control line models for Christmas. The PT19 or PT9? Uh, or the... Mine was a 337. Oh, a 337 Cessna? Yeah. Yep. And it was bright orange, but it only had an engine in the front, not in the yeah, back. Yeah. And we would, Dad would, we'd fill it up with fuel, get it running, it'd get halfway around a circle, be out of fuel and never got airborne. <laughs> 
So I'd, I'd sort of been introduced to nitro motors a little bit and with my dad being a mechanic, it was sort of second nature. But, yeah, I ended up putting a rock in the front of this 337 and I just hurl it around my head on the end of the string and it was actually fun doing that for a while. <laughs> so you're a, you're a tinkerer. <laughs> Yeah. yeah. There were the signs then that you're going to be an aero modeler when you're tinkering. I oh, know, this is a rock powered control line plane. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. So then I, yeah, there was a, a aeroplane for sale in the local model shop was a kit. It was called a Cosmo 10SR. And I had an OS 15 RC engine. So yeah, I put that together and put the RC engine in it. And yeah, basically went down to the local football oval again, sat it on the cricket pitch and opened the throttle and away I went. Yeah. It sounds like it came back in one piece. The first one was more good luck than good management. It came back in one piece. But then, yeah, as as we all do when we're learning, you get a bit more keen, a bit more eager. And, yeah, it finally hit a goalpost one day. But, <laughs> you know. It, it did live again. Those goalposts always get in the way, don't they? <laughs> yeah, all soccer posts. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. So so look, you're still going it alone though and working everything out yourself pretty much. Yeah, I honestly, I actually didn't join a club till I'd been flying for probably 10, 12 years. Really? Most of the flying I'd done was, you know, on friends' farms or just flying the gliders and, and flying, you know, powered planes off footy ovals. Yeah. How old had you been by this stage when you got into the nitro plane? Um, probably fifteen. Okay, so yeah. When I started seriously mucking around with nitro stuff, and yeah, and and I was I was probably twenty by the time, or just over, when I joined a club for the first time. Geez, are you really you really pushed ahead? You must have really been enjoying it. Yeah. Oh, aeroplanes were an addiction. I just couldn't get enough of them, whether it was building them or flying them or models or getting into the full size. So, yeah, I just couldn't get enough of it. And well, we will talk about your full size flying a bit. It was quite quite ironic, actually. When I first turned up at the model club, hmm. it was it was actually Wangrad Aero Modelers, and um, you had to have your model test blown by the one of the instructors before you flew hmm. just to make sure your aircraft was safe. So I handed him my transmitter. And he's like, your elevator works in the wrong direction. I go, that's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> so is that when you worked out that you were going the wrong yeah. way? Oh, yeah. gee. So then then he handed the transmitter back to me and he's like, oh, I can't fly this with. Just go fly it yourself. So I didn't get my aeroplane test float. I just <laughs> flew it and away I went. So at what point did you work out which way the elevator is supposed to go? They just say, wait a second, you've got it back to front. Yeah, when I sort of looked, started, because the, the, some of the mates that I was flying with, we all flew the same because we all taught ourselves and we all learn off each other, so we thought it was normal. <laughs> you could start your own club, the uh, down elevator flyers. Yeah, it's, it's mode, mode five. <laughs> <laughs> the mode five flyers, that's a classic. Yeah. But I reckon it. Yeah, it wasn't long after that I thought, oh, well, I better get in with the in crowd and I'll, I'll switch to the right way. And it, it probably took me, I reckon, about a year and a half of perseverance to, really? to erase the memory <laughs> of, you know, uh, yeah, when you need to flare near the ground, you don't push forward. <laughs> <laughs> you could just fly inverted a lot. That'd be really good. Yeah. Your, your inverted flight would have been absolutely awesome. I'll just yeah, land it inverted. And, it's actually come in really good because I can fly mode one and mode two quite comfortably, so it oh, doesn't really? worry me which, which which thumb I use on which stick. The oh. brain brain talks to it pretty good. That so. is, you know, <laughs> you're the eighty first episode of this podcast, and that is 
a classic story that you, yep. you had the elevator set up the wrong way and you didn't know. Yeah. Okay, so you turn, so you fly in this nitro plane. Did, did it have a throttle? Yeah, yep. So you'd obviously bought a new yep. radio and stuff like that. Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah, I got a, a JR Pulse S Ooh. was my first. You know, I bought it second hand off one of the guys in Wangaratta that was flying F three A, and it was it was the best of the best. <laughs> yeah, I remember those in, the, in seeing the magazines and things. Yep. And okay, so you get the nitro out and you're flying that around, and you know, you, you, you've bucked that trend. Maybe it's because you were brought up in a country town. When I always say the boys see cars and then women and give up the hobby, but you, it sounds like you yep. just kept on going. Yeah, I um. I moved to Melbourne when I was about 18 to start an apprenticeship and yeah. And the guys I were hanging with down, down there then were doing a similar thing and it just exploded. So you come to Melbourne, you brought your planes, your model planes with you. Then what? Um, a friend that I met, um, we used to go out to the Melton Aerodrome and actually fly off Melton Aerodrome back in the day oh, off really? the end of one of the strips there. So, yeah, and, and while I was doing my apprenticeship, a, a guy, one of the tradesmen, sold me a radio-controlled car, which was a Thunder Tiger one I needed parts for. So Nick Chiboppi at NC Helicopters was selling Thunder Tiger parts. So I went and saw him one afternoon to um, get some parts and walked into his garage and there was just helicopters wall to wall and suddenly I needed helicopters. Oh, no. <laughs> Oh, no. There we go. <laughs> True aero modeler. I saw something and I just had to have it. So I bought yeah. the whole shop. Yeah, well, I, I bought all the car parts I needed and yeah. went home with a helicopter too. <laughs> and then, then Nick taught me to fly it. So it was, yeah. <laughs> now, what uh, what heli? Um, an Ishima Playboy, it was called. I think I remember. They have a really sort of bubbly kind of canopy, like really rounded. Yeah. Kind of- Yes, they did. Yep, and they were, yeah, one of the first. Oh, well, they, they could do them in fixed or collective pitch, a bit like the old MFA Sport yeah. Five Hundred. But yeah, it was. Yeah, I had a collective pitch version with a. I think it had Nervine, and oh, no, sorry, an Enya engine in it, and yeah, the the big old big old double gimbal gyro that was about a thousand bucks just for the gyro. Oh, really? Yeah. So you spent so, all your apprenticeship wage on a heli. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you didn't tell your parents where you wasted your money. And then, oh, no, they were, they were 300 kilometres away. Yeah, they didn't know. know. <laughs> yeah, how much was it? Oh, I got to pick it up secondhand for 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so what was it like flying that? Because we're talking about relatively early days for, for helis. Yeah. How did it fly? Uh, actually, I mean, at the time, I, I thought it flew really well. And, and they did. Like the old gyros and that weren't too bad. But, you know, it was, yeah, it's quite interesting compared today with the modern stuff with all electronics and the speeds at which servos now move, you realise, you know, how antique they were. But it's it's all we knew too. So it was it was cutting edge stuff. And what were those first few flights like? Um, well, I, I didn't try to teach myself to fly that. And Nick used to take me down to a footy oval near the – where Fairley's women's prison was, where he used to do all his teaching. So, yeah, we put the trainer legs on it and, yeah, spent hours walking up and down the footy oval there learning to fly this thing. So he went, was it, was it a buddy, bo- buddy box kind of setup? 
No, we didn't use a buddy box. He he test flew it with my Pulse S radio I had because I put it on that and then handed me the transmitter and we did these little hops along the ground, just powering up and letting it fall back down and powering up and, yeah, just slowly progressed using more aileron and more elevator or, or and cyclic and collective and and learning to use rudder, which most fixed-wing pilots don't use much these days. And, yeah. That's amazing. We, uh, just thinking about nowadays, uh, if you want to learn how to fly a heli, just get a simulator and you're, you're you know, 80% there because yeah. you, you'll train your brain kind of thing. So we've got it, we've got it easy now, Dave. And everything's got safe mode. So you just flick the switch, it writes itself. And, yeah. Well, how, did, how, how reliable was, it, was the kit back then? The heli? Yeah. Um, oh, it was super reliable. Like it was, yeah. You know, you didn't have surging engines or anything. It was just purely, yeah, just run like a modern nitro engine of today. It was, yeah, I, I can't ever remember except running out of fuel, having ever having engine stop. So I mean, I wasn't doing you know inverted flight and loops and rolls or really extreme stuff with it. But yeah, just cruising around the sky was, yeah, you never never thought the engine was going to stop. That put it that way. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Okay, so now, uh, did you join a club when you were in Melbourne or not? Um, no, I was, I was only in Melbourne well, probably about four years. And yeah, most of that time was spent either going back to Wangaratta or flying, um, out at Melton Aerodrome or, at, or down at, you know, at the Essendon, near the Essendon golf course down there on the Maribyrnong on oh, those yeah. footy ovals. Oh, yeah. Back, back when we were allowed to do that stuff before all the bylaws happened. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We, we, it seems like we were a lot freer back then. You know, used to see people flying gliders at the local park, kind of thing. Um, so yep. yeah, okay. So then, uh, you got the heli bug. Um, yep, what comes next? I'm just sitting here going, okay, and what happened now? But yeah, what was the next move? Yeah, well, mainly it was it was spending a bit of money with Nick buying different helicopters, getting into like cult space barons, a bit more modern stuff, and all that. Yeah, um, yeah, and I mean, my, my full size career kicked off then so it sort of led me around the countryside a little bit and really sort of getting into big stuff and better stuff really only happened when I moved to Mildura here probably it's coming up just on 20 years ago okay so 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 you went off and flew you learned how to fly full-size planes of course yep yep where where did where, where do you do most of your training um I like to fly in Shepparton at Gorn Aviation so Okay, so you, were, you, were you living back at Wang then or were you in Shep? No, I actually um, had just finished my apprenticeship and went full-time flight training for 12 months and lived in the caravan park across the road from the airport and just lived and breathed flying for 12 months. So, yeah. Yeah, it would have been good times. Mm. And and yep. and I suppose I've, I've, I've experienced this myself, you know, watching other people, experiences that once they start flying full-size, Flying model sort of takes a pretty much a back back seat for quite some time. So it sounds like you went and then got your license and then looked for a career in as a professional pilot, commercial pilot. Yep. So you had obviously had to move around a bit to get the hours up. Yeah, yeah. I went and lived in the Kim- Kimberleys for twelve months and used to get all my model airplane stuff posted up there from Wangaratta that I needed oh, to try and do a, do a little bit up there, but it was just so hard to get bits and find other people to fly with that I gave up on that idea and yeah, yeah. 
came back came back to Albury and worked there flying for a while and did a little bit of model aeroplane flying. Used to go out to the club but never joined it. And yeah, just just kept kept buying stuff and mucking around with stuff on my own and, and with a few friends and yeah, the club scene didn't really happen for me greatly till I was here at Mildura. So Yeah, okay. So let's fast forward to Mildura then. Yep. And the Mildura, Mildura club is, you know, we've seen We've seen the champions come. I'm going to say his name again, Glenn Orchard. It's the third podcast in a row that I've mentioned his name, <laughs> Glenn Orchard, um, which no doubt you you know Glenn really well. He, he was yep. a long-time member up there and he's moved back to Melbourne now. Glenn, can you please come to the podcast? I'm going to, I've asked you twice already. Please come. But uh, um, you moved to Mildura. You fly for, you fly for Qantas, aren't you? Yeah, flying the Dash 8, the Qantas League. Yeah, out of Mildura. Yes. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And um, so when you get to Mildura, what brings you to the flying club? Well, I suppose it's it's more the time because, you know, having, you know, working in general aviation is sort of almost a seven-day-a-week job. <laughs> and then suddenly coming to work for an airline where, you know, two or three days a week is sometimes a busy week and all you got all this free time. So it's like, wow, let's go fly model airplanes again. You pilot slackers. <laughs> As I was saying to you earlier, my brother's a pilot, and um, yep. yeah, he's got three weeks holiday at the moment. I said to him, "What are you going to do?" He goes, "I don't know." I say, I always say there's one good thing about being a pilot. So I run my own marketing business, and when yep. you run your own business, you, you're always thinking about work. You're like after I finish up doing having this chat with you, I'm actually going to get the laptop out and do some work. Pilot can't work unless they're sitting in the cockpit. So yep. when you leave work you've actually left work. Sometimes you might need to do a little bit of study for, you know, sims or something like that, but you can't work unless you're in the cockpit. And I just love that concept that you can just go, yeah, I'm not at work now, so I'm just not at work. I have to think about it. I close the iPad when I get out of the aeroplane and I don't open it again until I get back in. Ah, see? <laughs> Cushy job these pilots have, everyone, I'm telling you. Not like the good old days where they used to have to prepare for the flight, flight plans and all this kind of stuff. Now you've got everybody else doing it for you, haven't you? No, not quite. Oh, but come quite. on. Just get in, the, get in the cockpit, turn it's, the computer on. And, oh, look, that's where we're going today. It's all done on the iPad. At least it's not all handwritten yes. and manual stuff like we used to have to submit flight plans and all that. Now it's just click a button on the iPad and away you go. Yeah, see? Yeah. yeah. And then you just get in the airplane, press that uh, automatic takeoff and automatic automatic pilot and then automatic land. Nah, we're, we're not that lucky. We, <laughs> we don't have any of that flash stuff. So we, we've got to physically fly our plane. So I've it's nice. Well. And that, that's why I'm still doing it because yeah. I enjoy flying too much. <laughs> yeah. Now, so you're in Mildura. Yep. yep. You're at the flying club because you've got some spare time. Yep. What are you flying at this stage? Um, I had a, a, I think it was a SIG kit, a Smith's mini plane. Had one of those. And, yeah, getting getting to know Glenn pretty quickly because he was pretty prominent in our club up here and um, he had a, Bit of a model shop set up in the in the office of his um, clothing shop he had up here. So yeah, getting involved with him and buying aeroplanes and mucking around with aeroplanes and um, I don't know from full size teaching and all that. I sort of yeah ended up suddenly 
teaching a lot of people and people asking me questions. Not that I had much experience in clubs per se, but I had, I suppose, a lot of self-taught knowledge from experience. And so you, you started this whole genre of um, Mode 5 pilots. Yeah. <laughs> so, oh, look, the elevator's going the wrong way. If you want to go up, yeah. you push forward. Yeah. It makes sense. Yeah. It makes you go that's up. It. That's it. It makes flying upside down easier, like you said. Yeah, that's right. Good idea. <laughs> but, yeah, so I, um, yeah, suddenly got involved with, you know, a lot of people in the club that, yeah, wanted help and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah, I sort of, you know, became a little bit, I suppose, a go-to person when it come to, test flying big aeroplanes and mucking around with stuff and, yeah, pu- pushing stuff to the edge because I was always game enough to give it a go. Mm. So. And um, so how did – what kind of – how did you progress, progress with models? Like what were you, you – know, were you sort of wandering around between different genres or did you find yep. a pathway? No, nah, pretty much. I mean, I've always loved scale stuff because I fly full size. So, you know, scale is probably my true passion, whether it's aeroplanes, gliders, helicopters, doesn't really matter. But I was, you know, in one respect, happy to own just about anything that was around. And in some respects, being lucky enough to be able to purchase a lot of the stuff that, you know, I thought I wanted. So, yeah, I would I would buy get anything from, you know, I flew iMac for a little while because we wanted to, Oh, sorry, not iMac, through flu pattern because we were trying to get quite a few guys involved in pattern in our club. So being the president, I thought, well, I might as well have a go at it. And, yeah, so, yeah, you get a pattern plane and start doing that. I've had, you know, 100cc iMac aeroplanes and mucked around with that sort of stuff. Scale gliders, towed them up and, you know, flown them. It's just, yeah, I just, I just like all aspects of the hobby, basically, so... Yeah, that's true. Now, let's just – I want to go through some of the models that you've owned over the years, and and I've got three distinct categories being jets, prop planes, and helis for you, all right? So you're pretty much this all-rounder. Let's just talk about jets because I I know you as a jet pilot. I know you're an avid jet pilot. Tell us about some of the models that you've owned, and is it a yak, a big yak that I'm looking at photos? Yeah. uh, the Air Mackie 346. Air Mackie it's, the, it's the Italian trainer, whereas the Yaks, the, the uh, Russian or Czechoslovakian, whatever it is. That's yeah. right. Liz, that, that, that tail yep. set me off. But, okay, that's a beautiful plane. Tell me about that. Um, well, that was actually uh, Frank and uh, Peter Agnew had that. That was the one he had, and I bought it off him quite a few years ago and because I loved it the first time I saw it at Wangaratta Jets, and I was lucky enough he sold it to me, and, yeah. It's it's definitely one of my f- most favourite aeroplanes, I suppose, of all time. Only because, like you say, it, I just love the presence of it. And it's a beautiful plane. It's just a beautiful, beautiful model plane. Um, what's it running? Give us a bit of a rundown of motors and stuff. Um, it's got just a single Jet Cat 160. Yeah. In it, a Kero Start one, and yeah, it's um, it's got um, a power box system in it. And just all high, it's running all high tech servos. And is that um, what, what, what's who manufactured the, the kit? Um, CNC models in Italy. Okay. Did that's, that one? That's which yeah, they're still doing them. It had when when Pete had it, they actually put uh, converted the air retracts to hydraulics, so it was running initially in a hydraulics undercarriage system. Yeah. 
which was pretty special. And I've since switched that out for the electron actuators. Yeah, they're dust guts, as they say. Um, that that undercarriage so, looks beautiful in scale. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I quite often get stirred about the little dolls that we've got in the front, but they're expensive dolls, and they make make it look good. That's true. That's true. <laughs> and um, what else? What other Jesse got? Um, I've got my boomerang Elaine. Yeah. That's got. Oh, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of flights on it. It's got a, a JetCat 90 RXI in it. Yeah. Um, it's the one I've used to teach a lot of people to fly jets because I'm, if people are confident, I'm quite happy for them to go out there with, with my Elaine and I teach them to fly it until they're basically ready to solo on theirs and then we go out and fly their jets. Mm. Um, what else have I got? A Skymaster BD5 that's got. Oh, yeah. Is meant to have a 60 to an 80 in it, but I only had a one Jet Cat 120 in the cupboard, so I shoe on that in there. How does that go? Because I reckon they're cool. Um, I almost bought one yeah. hand that was on the market, but um, yeah, how's that go? It's it's awesome. It's it's interesting though because it's got such a high thrust line. Yeah. And one of the interesting things is if you open the throttle too fast while you're flying, that sort of overpowers the elevator a little bit. Oh. And. I did a low pass here at Mildura one day with the flaps out really slow, and as they opened the throttle to accelerate, it just sort of pushed itself towards the ground mm. with full-up elevator, and I just missed the, the trees and the bushes at the end of the field as it climbed away. Oh. But, yeah, it taught, taught me a lot. <laughs> Gee, that's an interesting one. didn't think about that. And that's something that yeah. you probably would have just learnt just by flying the damn thing. Yeah. Yeah, no one told you. Because, yeah, that engine is really high up, isn't it? Yeah, I've been warned a little bit about the high thrust line, but you don't appreciate it till you, I suppose, scare yourself that first time, and then it's like, okay, I'll remember that for next time. Yeah, that's amazing. So, um, I've had, yeah, I had a BAO Hawk for a while with an ATJ one forty in it. Um, I've got a Bergen uh, turbine heli with a Ren Ren forty four in it. Oh yeah, how does that go? Yeah, it's it's beautiful. I mean, the, just just like the turbine jets, it's so much smoother than anything nitro or petrol. And I suppose it's getting getting to the level of electrics running the turbine. So yeah, it just flies, and it's a you know it's what nearly two meter rotor span. So it's an eight and a half kilo, nine kilo model or something. So it's you know like big airplanes. They've got more mass and they're just more stable. Yeah. So. That's cool. That is cool. Yep. I actually gave, gave Greg Lepp a first go of ever of his, of his turbine heli and oh, let him no. fly mine at Wangaratta one day. And yep. No. <laughs> I, I love seeing the smile on people's faces when you give them a go of stuff that, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I can just see Greg's in there going, oh, I need one of these now. Yeah, he's like, oh, I don't want to fly it. I was like, yes, you do. Let's you go. Do so want to I fly dragged it. him out there and, and he flew it and it was a great day. Lucky, so, yeah. lucky he's a competent heli pilot. Oh, well, that's it. I mean, you're not going to give it to someone who's going to damage it. And, and like I always say to them, you know, you can't safeguard against it going off the air or something breaking. So, yeah, unless it's dumb thumbs, if it crashes, it crashes. We can't do anything about it, whether you fly it or I fly it. Yeah, that's true. Now, I'm going through some of these photos of these helicopters that you've got. Mm. So, we'll, we'll talk about the helis now. The... Uh, how many helis do you actually have? Like, there's a lot of vintage stuff here. 
Yeah. How many do you actually own? Um, in the shed at the moment, there's just over a hundred. A hundred alleys. Yeah. You, I've, oh, yeah. It's it's a problem I have. I bought bought another one two days ago, but that's all right. Well, an old one or a new one? <laughs> an old one. I I'm more into the old stuff than the new stuff. So. Yeah, the newest ones of all my stuff is probably my Raptors, and they're considered old now. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Gee, and you've still got but, some brand new in, in in the box. Yeah, yep. I've still got brand new Raptor kits sitting sitting there. I, I sort of, yeah, went towards Raptors in the end because they were just, you know, one of the best platforms. And, and Thunder Tiger did some of the best scale bodies, and because I was into scale, it's like, well, I might as well put a Raptor mechanics in all these great Thunder Tiger bodies. So. Yeah, it's yeah. true. And uh, do, do you fly them or they're just more for just as a collectible? Um, there's, I don't know what there is. There's, I think there's about 11 Raptors that are going at the moment and there's probably about another 10 other helis that, that can be consistently flown. Yeah. And the rest of them are in various stages of, you know, some will never be flown because they're that old that I just don't want to fly them. But I have have got some that I I um do fly that are sort of back from the early seventies. Oh really? So yeah. So but yeah, I I sort of am joking around with people that I've got this sort of unofficial museum that I'm building because all this old stuff usually unfortunately goes to the tip or just disappears. Yeah. So where are you finding all the, the all those helis? I'm actually- all around the. I'm listening on eBay place. now having a look at them. Yep. On RC Trader, they pop up from time to time. Yeah. A lot of the time it's through word of mouth. Or you just be somewhere and you'd be talking to someone and it's like, oh, you don't know anyone who's got the old helis and then, you know, suddenly they offer stuff to you. So um, That's awesome. That's the kind of stuff that puts a smile on people's faces. You know, if you've been yeah. around the hobby for a while and you, you, you see something like that, you just go, that is just cool. I remember the first time I saw an RC heli. At the yep. park and, and the nitro thing, and it was like, oh, this is just cool. Look at that. And the, uh, there was a lot of fiddling. I, I remember they were, they were sort of fluffing around a fair bit to get it into the air. But uh, yep, but it was like, oh, I better see this thing go. Mm. Yeah, well, I've I've taken a couple to heli events that are sort of fixed pitch, no gyros, and there's basically the auto rotation clutch is enough to start the engine without the blades turning. Oh, yeah. But but if the engine stops, the blades stop turning. <laughs> and I've I've turned up with one of them, and the guys are like, "Wow, I never was seen one of these for real." And it's like, "Well, you want to have a fly of it?" And they're like, "You use it?" Okay, well, I don't own it just to look at. So, yeah, you suddenly give these guru pilots a go of that sort of heli, yeah. and you know, it's like they've never flown one before because <laughs> there's, there's no no technology, and it's yeah, but it's it's great to see. I've just found another kit for you. <laughs> there is, on eBay, there is a, it says very rare vintage Kyosho Hyperfly Heli. Oh, yeah? Yep. Asking, I don't actually have one of those. You don't have okay. one. They're asking $800. Yeah. Are they asking for an offer? Make an offer. Make an offer. Because <laughs> right? tell them they're dreaming. Uh, yeah. But it's brand new in the box. Yeah. Look at that. A Hyperfly. Yep. Never heard of it. Yep. One. Well, I've got I've got around 150 transmitters in cabinets sitting in the shed as well. Gee, 
that, that's, so, that's, that's a lot of stuff lying around. Every, everything back to the early, you know, single channel valve stuff with loop antennas and all that sort of stuff. But, you know we need to start a museum. Yeah. <laughs> the uh, museum. The amount of stuff and there's aeroplane kits and I've even got a, um, a radio controlled model of the HMAS Melbourne that I got off off Glendore out of Canberra. <laughs> That's a museum quality thing, but it's it's radio controlled and I'll yeah. tell you what, this is what you've got to get. Just looking on eBay now if you want vintage stuff. <laughs> vintage Gropner Kyosho one four point five scale Yamaha YZ two fifty motocross rider ten RC bike kit. Two thousand three hundred and seventy two Aussie dollars for that vintage RC motorbike. That's yep. good money. Tell you what, yeah. maybe yep. this could be your retirement fund. All these vintage, <laughs> uh, vintage helis. Maybe some museum. Something you got to start a museum. That's awesome. Anyway, yeah. Oh, now, yeah, you, you got me hooked looking at vintage stuff. There's just yeah, like I say, there's radios. I've got servos, gyros, everything back, way back. Just yeah, because like I say, this stuff just goes to the tip normally. So you yeah, know, you know what you need to do. You need to create a website. Take photos of everything. Yep. And so that, you know, we can keep the history alive. Well, that's it. I, I go on a lot of the Facebook pages and you'll go on some of the old stuff and people like, have you ever seen one of these? And it's like, well, I've got yep. 10 of them brand, brand new <laughs> in a box if you want it. Like I've got, I've got probably, oh, probably four shoe boxes at least full of brand new craft servos unopened. Really? Back, factory new. Yep. And even manuals from when you used to service your own radios with wiring diagrams and everything, and they're all brand new, sitting there unopened. So, yeah, just oh, just stuff I've collected that's useless to most people, but for some reason, I like it. So that's the kind of stuff that the MAAA would love to have as a yeah as a museum. I think they've got a museum yep. in the in the US at the AMA. I think they've got a museum. Yeah. Yep. And they tried okay. tried doing one in New South Wales as well. And one of the guys I know in New South Wales, he ended up with a lot of the stuff like badges and all that sort of stuff from world championships everywhere. And I ended up with all his stuff. So I've got, <laughs> you know, stickers and badges from world championships oh, really? back in the seventies and eighties. Oh, awesome. <laughs> I just don't have enough place to display it. All. Oh, I'd love to have like a, a themed cafe bar restaurant kind of thing where, you know, you have model airplane paraphernalia everywhere. That'd be awesome. I yeah. Just seeing yep. the environment, looking around, going, look at that, look at that. No, oh, I remember yep. one of those Aeroflight Albatross sitting up there, hanging up. But um, that'd be awesome. Yeah, oh, okay. yeah, I got, yeah brand, brand new pilot kits aren't open on the wall. There's even an Aeroflight Gemini original kit sitting there oh, that's really? still wrapped in plastic. Oh, well, yep. keep it like that. that there, there's some serious <laughs> value in some of that. So people pay good money for those kind of things. Yeah. Especially the, the original Aeroflight stuff is just yeah. Like, I won't wait. Shouldn't tell anyone. I paid fifty bucks for it about four years ago. <laughs> yeah, don't but. don't tell anybody. All right, it's just our secret. Uh, but yeah, okay. So that's amazing. But, oh, if I'm if I'm in Mildura next time, which I haven't been for yeah. a long, long time, but uh, if I'm ever in Mildura, I'll tell you what. I've got to come and check out all this. That'd be just yeah. There's a, a double story room in my shed, and most people go, "Oh, that's that looks good." And I go, "That's only downstairs. All there's heap more stuff oh, upstairs." I was going to say, <laughs> "How much room have you got? Like to put all this stuff?" Gee, yeah, you need a lot of room yeah. for it. 
Do you ever so, have like the club members come over and have a gawk at everything? Yeah, every now and then. Well, I, I do a lot of work fixing planes for people and helping people. So when people come over and they look at this stuff and go, what's that? I go, that's the radios we used to use were before we had computers, before we had yeah. anything. Didn't even have reverse. Yeah. <laughs> you had to switch the servo round to get it to work the other way. Yeah. And, um, that's crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's yeah, just amazing so, when you when you stop for a minute and look back at what we used to do versus what we have now. Yep. It's just it's ama- it's it's just so much easier now and so much more reliable. You know, even just something yep. like two point four gig, like how good is that? It's <laughs> turn up yeah. and off you go. Yeah, well, yeah, no chance of getting shot down because someone didn't put their key in the board or they've, oh. they've, they've turned sideways and whacked their 36 meg anterior against your aerial and suddenly you've lost both aeroplanes oh, and <laughs> all those, the fun days are gone. Those were the days. <laughs> well, well, I was only discussing with someone yesterday. When we used to run the double gimbal gyros, they used to drain the same power as five servos. Oh, really? So you'd put five servos in your heli plus the gyro. So you're running 10 servos and then you'd put a 600 milliamp four-cell NICAD <laughs> pack in it and fly all day. Really? <laughs> and not think about it. Now you've put, you know, 3,000 milliamps on your receiver yeah. and you check it every two and three, two or three flights. That's right. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> it's just crazy to what we used to do. Yeah. But we didn't know any well, better. Well, uh, you're the craziest of all, Mr. Mode 5, I'll tell you what. You know, <laughs> that's just, it's, it's an interesting story, though. Like, it, it, it's quite unique because I've never had anybody that sort of went it, al- went it alone for such a long period of time. Yeah. And then sort of came into the club scene sort of a bit later and then worked out you're doing the wrong thing. But um, Yeah, I uh, thought I was normal. <laughs> yeah, no, you're not normal. I can tell you now, you're not normal. <laughs> so... Let's let's talk about prop planes now, right? So we've covered yep. like the helis and everything. What yep. prop planes are you currently got in your hangar? Prop planes? Actually, they're fairly not very many at all. They sort of come and go. The only main one that's been there for probably 15, 16 years is a pilot quarter scale tiger moth I've got. Oh yeah. They're cool. Yep. I mean I my apprenticeship was a fitter and turner, so I machined up my own sprung undercarriage and everything for it. And um, it's got an OS-124 stroke that I converted to spark ignition. Mm-hmm. And it just, you know, it's uh, be a thousand plus flights it's got on it. I've, and I've said this before, Tiger Moths are cool. They are just yep. cool. They look great in the air, especially the ones that got those motors that go kablunk, 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 kablunk. Yep. If you've got one of those kablunk motors, they are just awesome sounding, and and they also look good as they age. Actually, improve with age. I reckon the look of them when they're a bit sort of, you know, tattered. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It looks <laughs> yep. like a proper plane. Uh, you know, yeah. you don't want this shiny tiger moth. It's got to be, and and I think they're also a great platform to. To add some scale detail to, you know, I've yeah. talked about a friend of mine that's got this phenomenal, I think it was a scratch built Tiger Moth, and it's just amazing. It's got a metal tank, you no, know, the tank that goes at the top. It's a yep. proper, you know, metal header tank kind of thing. And it just, it is phenomenal. And again, it's got that sort of rough kind of look. But um, yeah, I, you, know, I, I, you know what? I'm going to say it now Tiger Moth is my favorite biplane. Yeah. I mean, this is painted exactly the same as I used to fly one that was in the Drage Airways collection oh, yeah. of Wang Ladder. Yeah, so it's painted exactly the same as it. So it's, you know. What would they like yeah. to fly, the Tiger Moth? The real one? Yeah. Um, 
it was it was really nice. It was they used to always say it was easy to fly but hard to fly well. Um, only having lower wing aileron, you always had to overpower the upper wing to get it to any sort of good roll rate. So yeah. at times you'd you'd kick a little lead with rudder because you know it yours then it rolls when you kick with rudder. So you could actually aid the turning a little bit by leading on the rudder in the direction you want to go. Yeah. But but yeah, for aeros, you know, it wasn't a bad aeroplane. It didn't do anything in a hurry. Yeah. Yeah. But it was just, you know, the one I flew didn't have brakes. It didn't have a tail wheel. Didn't have it had brakes. No, nah, it had a greater blade as a tail skid, and it had um, the Armstrong starter where you had to start it, hand crank it every time. Oh, really? So, yep. How so, did you stop yeah, it then when you came to land? You just landed on the grass, yeah. and yeah, you could taxi it up on the asphalt, and yeah, you just, just like rolling a car into the garage, you could switch it off and. Once you worked out how far it's going to travel with so much inertia, you could turn the engine off and just let it slide up to where you needed to be. That's crazy. Yeah, it's absolutely. Well, why didn't they have brakes? Why didn't it? Because yeah. it was original. <laughs> really? I didn't realise that. They didn't have brakes back in the old days when they were building them. So, yeah, to keep it genuine. And we, we didn't fly it off asphalt strips or, yeah. or too much anyway. So it was always grass. So it didn't matter. So, yeah, there was no need to put a tar wheel on it either. Stick the tail that tail skid in. Yep, and it still had the old Gosport tube. So you put your leather hats helmets on and like talking down the tin can oh, really? and string. You'd, you'd yell down the tube to the person in front of you, or you'd just bang them on the side of the head when you wanted their attention. And yeah, did you convert it so, so that uh, you push down to go up? No, oh, no, just, just they, they wouldn't let me reverse that. <laughs> just just checking. <laughs> Because I don't know, I'm a bit worried that you went and flew full size, and maybe then ah, oh, look this this stick in front of me, it's going the wrong way. Yeah, I've, I've never had that sort of flashback. Yeah, yeah turn around to the instructor and say, "This is wrong. There's something wrong here. <laughs> I'm pushing down the things, you know, going down. It's supposed to go up." Well, one one of the things we've done a bit, and I, I like challenging people with instructing and that in with model airplanes. But I will either select mode one, two, three, or four, put it on the buddy box, and then you take someone out there and give them the radio, and you you give it give them them the model, and they've got to work out which control setting they've got. Yeah, and it really brushes people up to think outside the square when things go wrong. Yeah, well, Glenn Orchard says he can fly both modes. Yep. Yeah, him and I have swapped radios quite often. <laughs> what what mode are you flying? I fly mode one, primarily oh. mode one, but yeah, mode two. Yeah, I fly that just as comfortably. Well, mode two is the mode of champions. So if you want to be a champion, <laughs> you got to fly mode two. Like, uh, uh, like, oh, that's what that's what I did wrong. <laughs> you know, I'm thinking about starting a, um, a an online petition to get Glenn Orchard on the podcast. Yeah. Yeah, I'm going to send him a message after this and say, Glenn, you, you've, your name's come up in the last three podcasts. Can yep. you please, please put us out of our misery and my misery because I'm not going to keep on asking like for the fifth time. Yeah. Can you please come on and talk to everybody? Anyway, he might. Yeah. He might. We'll wear him down. He should. Yep. Yeah. So, okay. So, so really, your main focus then at the moment with flying is the Jets then? Um, to a point, and... Really, most of, most of my time when I go out the model field up here or a lot of places over in the Barossa and that is is really test flying other people's models for them. I'm you know, lucky enough, I suppose, a lot of people ask me to test fly aeroplanes, so I'm quite happy to go and do it for them, whether it's you know, gliders, aeroplanes, helicopters or jets. So, yeah. That's a good job to have. 
Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of responsibility, but I'm, I'm glad they have, you know, the trust in me as well in one respect. So, yeah. There's a friend of mine that's just bought a jet, and and I know when people buy jets, people can get daunted by them. Yep. And, you know, you saw me fly at Wang Jets, and as you know, I was the best pilot there, as I did start in the by, video. By far. Yep. Thank you. By Thank far. you. Thank yep. you. I do know that I was the best pilot. And it was the first time I flew, and I just kept on saying to myself, it's a model airplane. It's got ailerons, it's got an elevator, it's got a rudder. It just happens to have different propulsion, but I know how to fly a plane. Yep. You know, once it's in the air, it'll be fine. Taking off will be fine. All I had to do was just start to understand the slow speed characteristics for landing. And that was about it. Yep. Um, yep. So, you know, I think if you're if you've flown enough. Going from one model to the other is really actually not a big mental stretch. Well, it's not a big physical no. stretch. It might be a mental stretch for some people. Yeah, they they all go up, down, left, and right. It's it's like I say to people, it's just a matter of about putting your brain into gear for the type of model you're now going to fly because they don't all fly the same. And if you try to make them fly all the same, you're going to bin quite a few of them. That is very very true, and it's a reason why. I always say that my jet's for jet events because yep. I, like I fly a lot of aerobatic planes and aerobatic planes are cheating in some ways. Like if you want to come into land and you back off that power, that plane slows down pretty quickly. Like you've, yep. got, you've got a lot of control of, of the aircraft in a kind of way what it's doing. You know, you pump yep. the throttle and it's going to go. You, you back it off and yep. it slows down. Um, you know, I've had a pattern model where, you know, you back off and the thing just wants to keep on sailing past you, you know. So yep. I had a lot of trouble in, in going from the aerobatic plane which, to something else that sort of cut through the air that maybe flew a bit faster and a bit sleeker in its, in its design. And so, and it's the same with me from going, say, from a jet to a prop plane. I don't want to mix the two for that very yep. reason that I don't – I get accustomed to flying something. And because I don't fly every weekend, you know, it's on and off, you know, my flying routine, I'd rather separate them. So that when yep. I go to a jet, which I'm hoping hoping now that, you know, yep. restrictions easing, that I go to a jet event knowing that my head's in gear for flying a turbine. Definitely, straight away. Definitely, but obviously you've got that ability to 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 go between genres and and be okay. Yeah, well, yeah, you know, it's like you know Ash over in Ash Cox over in Ash Adelaide. Cox, when yes. I go over to the Barossa with them and Brian and all that, and I could fly anything from my my Hallies, my jets to big iMac airplanes, gliders. I do it all in the one day, and and switch between, you know, testing other people's aeroplanes and my aeroplanes and, yeah, just you mitigate the risk and that's what we do with the full-size stuff at work all the time is you, you know, managing risk all the time. So, yeah, I, I'm lucky enough, I suppose, I can switch my brain into the gear it needs for everything you give me and then sometimes you got to, you know, think outside every ounce of ability you've got just to save aeroplanes too. Yeah. You know, I had I had it had a jet recently that I was test flying that had been adjusted. And when I took off, it was basically full up elevated to stay level. Oh, gee. And when you, you open the throttle, it climbed. When you close the throttle, it descended and, you know, Why put the flap up. What's that? Why was it doing that? Um, and it had the elevator amount removed, the amount of travel, and we didn't realise. Yeah. So, yeah. So, you know, 
putting the flap up changes the center of pressure, which gives you, you know, a nose down pitch and or nose, yeah, nose down pitch and flap up, flap down is nose up pitch and depending on the model. And so, yeah, we just played with it and I flew this thing around, burn off fuel and landed it without damaging it. Yeah, yeah. So, you, just you gotta, know, it, got to keep your wits about you, don't you? Yeah, well, that's it. Just just keep fighting it and don't give up. And yeah. Well, you, you say you, you, you've, you've taught a fair few people and you enjoy teaching people. What, what are some of the tips that you always give your students? Um, it depend, depends really on the model. But I, I like, um, you know, pretty much everything we do, I, my, my biggest pet hate, I suppose, is the way most people approach and land is, you know, you see it more so in pattern and to a lesser extent in jets, but the but the average pilot I see at most clubs doesn't fly structured circuits yeah. like the full size where you go crosswind, downwind, base and final. Most people in general, and this is a generalisation, say landing and they just draw a line from wherever they call landing to where they're going to touch down, <laughs> which is no disrespect is because it's, it's hard to come from a disciplined side of flying in, you know, commercially to then back to what we're doing, which is fun, and then trying to go, guys, we need to be this structured because, you know, it's it's not necessarily the way everyone wants to fly, but it's hard to consistently do something if you can't do it the same every time. Very true, but I've got a bit of a beef with instructors. I personally yep. do not believe that half the instructors that are accredited to be instructors are actually proficient in educating people and have structure in the way that they teach people. I was fortunate that I had my first instructor really drummed into me flying a rectangular circuit. Yep. And And there wasn't a lot of space really to fly the rectangular circuit, but he still made me do that. And you know, so that I would always be lining up correctly. And yep. you, know, you and I know, and most proficient pilots know, that a good landing starts 200 metres out from the strip. You know, that that yeah. it's all about just giving yourself the best chance to get it onto the strip at the right spot starts by lining it up correctly. And like you yep. said, a lot of people fly oval-shaped um, circuits and yep. stuff like that. But I just think that, you know, instructors are a bit, lacks sometimes in saying okay go take off yep okay yep put in a bit more rudder yep okay but i'd love you know and 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 i know that some people argue with me and say well that's not the case well if that's not the case why do so many people fly a messy circuit yeah if you drummed it into them you know i've talked about how i have an expectation of how i want the plane to to look in the air and fly and and some of that expectation started from when i had a good instructor um, yep. I'd like to thank Rod Clipstone. Clippy is just a legend of a guy, and he yep. just drummed it into me. Whereas my brother, who started flying model planes, his instructor was like loosey goosey, you know, mm. okay, get up to like 300 feet and um, you just hold the elevator and I'll do everything else. It's like, what? Yeah. And if you land it, we can use it again. It's a good day. <laughs> yeah. 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 And, that, and that's the hard thing, I suppose. And, you know, trying to, you know, I mean, full-size flying is is a lot more disciplined in one respect, but there's a lot bigger, in some respects, a lot bigger consequence. Whereas it'd be nice to put that sort of level into what we do, but you just can't do it in the hobby. It's true. Like you're not gonna, you know, you're gonna lose the model worst case scenario. But um, I still yeah, think- I've got an instructor rating. Yeah, you know, I've got my heavy model, my 
gas turbine, my instructor rating, gold wings. I got heavy heli inspection, and you know, I I I teach people when I teach them to fly the way I fly the full size one. Yeah, but but still keeping it fun enough that you're not drowning them in in, in discipline. Yeah, but I still think having that structure and instilling good practices from day one will will be good for, for them throughout their model flying career. It's about setting that tone of what is what of how you should fly. And I yeah. think that because you've got that full size experience, that you bring that to you and, and that structure into your aero modeling, even though you did get the elevator the wrong way around. But yeah, you, know, you yeah. learned. But 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 that but, uh, well you weren't a commercial pilot at that point in time. So, no, no. So I was a 12-year-old, so yeah, it was and, normal for a 12-year-old. <laughs> and my brother, talk, the, my brother, the pilot, the airline pilot, talks about the same kind of thing about as pilots, the structure and the routine and, you yep. know, thinking ahead and all that kind of stuff is is, is super, super critical. And, um, yeah, I'll look at oh. Yeah. If any instructors are out there, please, you may be doing this if you are, you know, well done. But just let's set a tone of what is acceptable flying based yeah. on good practices, such as flying good circuit. Yeah, and I, I hope, you know, and I've had it said to me, I lead by example, you know. If I'm not going to expect someone to be perfect, if I can't do it myself. So I'll go out and practice it till I'm as good as I want to be at it so that when you're teaching someone else, you can demonstrate it to a level that they can achieve or mm. strive to achieve. Yeah, you know, when with with my circuit training, I actually teach people positions in the sky for where the aeroplane is for when you're setting up on final, and just so you get used to knowing from that position at that speed in the air, it's going to land at my feet every time, and that way you can turn up at new fields, and you go, oh, my favourite tree's not there. I don't know where to turn. Oh, it's like if you put the aeroplane at the same spot at the same height at the same speed doesn't matter what field you fly it you know it's going to land at your feet so now speaking of landing yeah. at your feet what's your philosophy on touchdown where do you like touchdown to happen if in, in vicinity to the pilot um I, I would prefer it to touchdown just before the pilot so that it's about a 50 percent roll either side of rollout so where it touches down it should roll about the same distance past you yep I yeah agree. It, it's got it's got got to be close to you because you don't, you lose your peripheral depth perception the further the model gets away. So you lose lose track of the rate at which it's descending when the ground suddenly rushes up at you, and then people yank on the on the elevator, and we start this porpoise, and then the power gets all out yeah. of sync. And, and you, know, you know, Shepherd and Mammoth event, you've been there. <laughs> yeah. And the amount of planes that I've seen crash after touchdown. Yep. And basically as a result of, you know, the plane flying past them at waist height and then they're chasing down the end of the runway and that run end of the runway is creeping up and so they're getting really nervous now and they don't know what they're going to do yep. and they whack a bit of rudder in and the nose wheel digs in and the next thing the wingtips hit this and it's hit a fence or it's done yep. something. And I, so I always sort of say to myself, if the plane's not touching down before it reaches me, you're going around. Yeah. Go around. and. And the speed at which it touches down, like if you're flying trainers and all that sort of stuff, just like full size, the stall warning horn should go on as the elevator hits full up elevator and the main wheels touch the ground. There's mm. no flying left in the aeroplane. You, you learn to do that with models. Understandably, yeah, getting into big jets and big scale stuff, you don't want to be right on the stall. But a lot of people touch down way too fast 
And the average person, when it touches down, they go, oh, phew, I'm glad that's over. They look mm. away. By the time they look back, it's bounced off a thing on the ground. It's six feet off the ground. Yeah, 80 degrees nose up. And they go, what happened there? Well, there's nothing like an asphalt runway to really keep you on your toes if you've come in fast, you know, oh. because everything gets accentuated. Your steering's better and the plane doesn't want to slow down. And we saw it at Wang Jets, you know, on the on the, on the, on the yep. runway there at the Wangaratta Airport that, you know, yep. a lot of people would run off into the grass after touchdown. And my, my favourite story is I was in China at a, judging an aerobatic competition and we were on this asphalt strip, which was stinking hot. It was just so hot and there was all this heat coming up. And anyway... Yep. Um, it was a pretty new strip on the edges of the strip was basically like a rubbish tip. It was just junk right everywhere. Yep. And, and a big gap between the edge of the of the asphalt and down into the sort of the dirt. Anyway, the pilots would finish their routine and the plane would touch down and they'd turn around and bow to the judges. And yeah. whilst they're bound to the judges, this plane is sailing off the end of the road, the edge of the <laughs> runway into this like rubbish tip of an area. And they were breaking undercarriage. And so as judges, we were sitting there saying, turn around, turn around. And we had to say to, to one of the organizers, can you just tell all the pilots, we appreciate them bowing to us, but they can bow to us once the plane has stopped because yeah. there's yeah. so many planes that have been damaged already because they're extremely yep. polite. But, you know, yeah. play, and you'd hear the crowd behind going, whoa, as this plane careers off. <laughs> Well, actually, you don't stop flying the aeroplane till the motor's off and it's not yeah. moving. <laughs> but, you know, and when, I mean, jet events, I mean, it's, it's harder at a jet event depending on how smooth the asphalt is because they do roll so much nicer. But, you know, you've seen it, I've seen it. There's some guys that, you know, Wangaratta Airport's, I think, what, 1,600 metres long or something, and people have used around 400 metres of it to land, which yeah. is fine because you've got 1.6 kilometres. But if you're flying a tent scale model, that's four kilometres you've used, and you can land an A380 <laughs> shorter than that. That's <laughs> a good way of viewing it. Well, look, I've got a video of my maiden landing, and it was a perla. Yep. I did. I, I don't. The, 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 the flare didn't exist, though. The flare, there was literally one minute it was in the air, nice approach. The approach, I was really yep. happy with my approach. And the next minute it's on the ground. And when you look at the video, I go, yeah, it didn't flare, did I? It just sort yep. of arrived. And, but, it, it, it got to the ground, and then it just stopped. It sucked to the ground, and that's it. It wasn't going anywhere. And then I just went, brakes, brakes, brakes. But, um, it was a carrier landing, constant speed yeah. and attitude. Till it hit. Well, I had the hook out. Yeah. I had the hook out. <laughs> no, put the line out. Yeah. Though. But, yeah, I mean, we, we could all land better, put it that way. And I, I spend a lot of time with people who want to learn going out there, challenging them and challenging me to land better. Well, do you know what I think? And I say this to my to myself quite often. I, I like to have... I like to be working on something when I'm flying. And I, yep. sometimes I say to myself, just go and do touch and goes. Just do yes. a whole flight of touch and goes. Nothing else. Fly a perfect, perfect rectangle circuit yep. and try and make them constant speed, constant attitude and, you know, and move the sticks as little as possible. Yeah, that's that's like giving yourself those kind of challenges of just flying, flying a figure eight and keeping everything level and sort of symmetrical. Yeah, you know, um, and making sure that transition point is right down the center line, right in front of you. Little, I, th I think you know, there's a lot to be said for critiquing your own flying and yep. um, striving to 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 keep things smooth. One of the biggest biggest ones as well is the amount of people that follow their models with their shoulders you know oh. there's a lot to be said for for pattern flying in that you stand there because you can fly parallel to your shoulders till the cows come home hmm. and if your sh shoulders are no longer parallel to where you want to land with you have the average person has buckleys in trying to land 
down a, a line that they can't compare to, what which about, is their, the line of their shoulders. What about the people that walk around whilst they're flying? And I know someone that walks as the plane's coming into, a pro, you know, as he's approaching to land, yep. starts walking to the right. You know, yep. starts walking down, following the plane down the strip. Look, yep. And I've said, your body is the stable thing. You just stand yep. here with your feet planted and do not move. Yeah. Just move your head. Just do not move. Just stay still. Don't walk. I mean, our, our model field here has got north, south, east, west runways that are about 14 metres wide and 150 metres long, and they're, they're gravel. Yeah. You know, our, I could send someone solo, and they're disappointed if they can't land on that runway and hit the centre of it every time. And I explained to them, you know, the average model field is, say, 100 metres wide, 200 metres long, and people clap if you hit it. <laughs> So you, you're narrowing it down to 14 by 150. So until you practice it, you're not going to hit the centre of that strip every time. But I walk quite often with the guys who can't and are annoyed they can't hit the strip. I walk up behind them and put my two index fingers in the back of each shoulder, on mm. one on each side, and I stand there and you get sore arms because they're trying to turn their body and you suddenly get them to stand parallel and they can hit the centre of the strip, you know, eight out of ten times without trying. Yeah. That's so many good tips there. You should become well. We've currently got a chief flying instructor, and he's doing a good job. But uh, if he doesn't want to do the job, I reckon we're going to put on name four because. And look, it's a good thing actually. Maybe maybe we get you on another time to talk about you know instructing techniques because yep. I, I think that it as I said I, I'm wary. I'm cautious. You know, yeah. Just I'm not convinced because and the proof is in the pudding. I'm a member of a big club and. Mm. When you see people that can't fly straight and level, have trouble landing, that are all yep. over the shop on approach, you got to ask yourself who taught them how to fly. Yeah, the only time I'll say different to a rectangle circuit is I like flying a circular approach with my jets. Yep, just a, a curved arc all the way onto final to land. Because while it's in that curved arc, you can see its speed, its forward speed relative to the ground. While it's down the end of the runway flying straight towards you, you can't gauge its forward speed. And that's why we have so many instances where people land fast or get too slow and stall it. Because when you're, hmm. yeah, we used to say with the full size stuff, to look down at the ground as you come into the flare, you know, down where the main wheel is, you can't tell how far you're off the ground. You've got to look yeah. down the end of the strip. And if I held up a pen and pointed the pointy end straight at you and asked you how long it is, you have no idea. Hmm. Whereas when I stand it on its end, you can tell me exactly how long it is. And that's the perception with an aeroplane that's flying towards you. You can't tell its forward speed. And because because jets are much more expensive and they bite a little bit harder, yeah, a, a circling, a curved approach allows you to see forward speed all the way through the approach till you're on the runway. Yeah, that makes that makes a lot of sense. I I have had depth perception problems sometimes when yep. um and, and in hindsight thinking about it it was a very very straight approach a very long straight approach yep. so and generally it's you know am i over the trees oh no i'm not i just hit it um yeah oh, am i over the wire fence oh no i just hit it it's that yep. judging that height above an obstacle that's 100 meters away from you is is something that i've been caught out probably two or three times now um, and fortunately, all the models have survived. It's 
you know, a bit of repair work, but they've survived. Yeah. But, um, yep. That's actually a really good point, you know. And yeah. You just brought Long, to my flat approaches. Long, flat approach. Yeah. That was the problem. We'll, we'll kill you every time. Yeah. You know, you get away with that nine out of ten times or you either touch down way too fast because you're not sure of the speed or you just get too slow and they ta- start tank slapping and it's all over. Yeah, you can go on YouTube and, yeah, there's hundreds of videos of guys losing it on final and you go, oh, something went wrong. It's like you could see it was way slow just where they were standing they were looking down straight down the model and they couldn't judge its speed yeah no it's a very gee i'm learning a lot yeah like like flying helicopters when you transit in positioning into forward flight nick taught me to do outward figure eights yeah because an, an outward figure eight the model is never pointing straight at you so you never lose an idea of how fast or slow it's moving forward because helicopters, when you get them too slow, they actually roll over tail first yeah. and go inverted into the ground. <laughs> and and me being a, a, a aeroplane pilot before the helicopters, I'd get halfway through the turn and you rip on the elevator like you do in an aeroplane, yeah. but that stops your forward flight, starts you getting over inverted at full throttle because you're opening the throttle to, to gain height and suddenly you're coming at the ground inverted at a huge rate of knots. Yeah, and then, yeah. Because you had no perception of its forward speed, so halfway through the turn, you got a nose down, drive in the power and collective, so you actually increase the speed through the turn and not, don't pull too much elevator. Yeah, I've been caught out with that flying helis. Yeah, I might be making comeback. I'm actually got to pick up a. Someone's giving me a heli, <laughs> T Rex yeah. 550. Cool for free. He doesn't want a cent. Yeah, I nice. said to him, no, no, I'm paying you some money for this thing, <laughs> and he's like, no, you're not. And I'm saying, no, no. It's not a cheap thing, mm. but um, but anyway, I'm, I'm... still does a funky chicken, and you need parts for it. <laughs> See, I've already, I've got another one. I'm, I'm turning into you. I've got, I've already got one. So, and I've yep. already got some spare parts, and and he's yep. got some spare parts as well, apparently. So, if I just, you know, just fly it gently, I should be okay. Yeah, should be okay. I've, I've probably got the bigger, biggest collection of Raptor spare parts in the country. Yeah. I, I reckon I could crash one a week for it. For about five years before I run out of the spares I've got. So. Yeah, you're going to be that guy known worldwide as the guy with the most Raptor parts, and and you'll yep. say, "Oh, I just need a new like main gear and the thing." I go, "Oh yep. yeah, yeah, got one of those." Oh, how much? Oh, eight hundred bucks. <laughs> most of it, I shouldn't say this. Most of it, I send for the cost of postage. I'm like, "Yeah, I've got one. I got ten. You want one? Oh, yeah, pay, pay the postage." Don't it's say yours, that. So. <laughs> How are you going to fund your retirement? <laughs> How are you going to establish your museum? It'll be, it's going to be like a, a major, for anybody that's listening overseas, Mildura is a town, how far away from Melbourne? Uh, close to 600 kilometres. Yeah, 600 kilometres away, right up on the Murray River. Which is 400 a big, from Adelaide. Big river, yeah. So close to, yeah, closer to Adelaide than anything. So, you you know, you've got Adelaide near you, you've got South Australia near you, you've got New South Wales across the river, and, of course, you've got Victoria. And, and it's it's a well-known area for, what, fruit growing? Yeah. Grapes, fruit, isn't it? Fruit, grapes, yep. Oh, gets pretty hot in summer there, doesn't it? Oh, yeah, mid-40s. Yeah. Celsius. What are the thermals like on those kind of days? You been out there thermaling? Yeah, or? pretty awesome. Yeah, well, 24-hour flight kind of thing. Yeah, pretty close. I've, I've had gliders, you know, vertically nose down, still getting sucked up into a, a thunderstorm cell in the nice summer afternoon, and you got to wait for it to pop out. So, Perfect. Are you, do you, fly, are you still flying gliders at all? Yeah, yep. Yeah, mainly um, towing them up. But, yeah, I've got a few of them in the shed. We drag out from time to time. And 
when I got a tow plane. So yeah, I'm really looking forward forward to getting some glider time in um, this summer. It's it's on the bucket yep. list. I've got I've got a nice competition glider. I want to get up there. I'm really keen. And yep. a discus used- launch glider as well. I want to throw up. Yeah, I, it's actually over in Aubrey at the moment, but I've got a Katana with a one, DLE 111 in it that's my was my tow plane. And oh, really? I just, I just used to tow people up vertical. Yeah, it's, it's like, quicker you know, way. It's quicker. You yeah. Know, just yeah. just uh, as like, you would do, push the push the elevator stick forward and it goes straight up. Yeah, it's like, you know, it's, um, you know, you'll lose sight of the glider before I lose sight of the aeroplane, so you release because I'm not going to come off going <laughs> vertical. So Yeah, I'll just hover here. You just you just release whenever you feel like it. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I've got footage here somewhere of Glenn Orchard flying my katana and I've got a fox on the back of it. I'm doing aileron rolls while he's towing me up oh, and it's no. great with the camera camera footage just watching the glider going around the tow plane. Because it's like, yeah, how about you roll left, I'll roll right, and we'll just keep doing that while we're climbing out. Glenn, Glenn Orchard is a bad influence on people. Maybe we don't want him on the podcast. Glenn, <laughs> don't come on. You're a bad influence. Imagine if I can have another guest on next week that mentions Glenn Orchard. He's getting a lot of publicity. He owes me. He's going to have a lot of fans. Big time. Big time. I'm going to get him on and just wait. Yep. Now, yep. flying events, you do like to get around a little bit. What are some of your favourite flying events to go to? Um, I'm pretty biased for Wangaratta Jets because I get to go and see mum and dad and family and all that. Um, I love event. going over the, the Barossa to their jet events. Um, went to Shepparton for a lot of years. The last few years with COVID has been a bit harder, but, and before that it's work got a little bit in the way. But, yeah, I, I mainly just like doing fun flies all around the place like you know, we used to go down to Warwick, Nabil. We'd go to Broken Hill, Renmark, Robinvale, all these little places and, and take a trailer full of everything. So, you know, people at some of these clubs that haven't seen like turbines or helis or stuff like that, you, you get they get to see some different stuff. I've got an idea. You need to buy like a massive trailer <laughs> with doors, like doors on every, every corner kind of thing, every yep. side. And you go, you could be like the traveling era modeling museum. <laughs> and you just open up the door and go, here are the helicopters from the early 70s all the way through yeah. to now. And then on the other yeah. side will be something else, transmitters and servos. These ones, brand new in the box. Don't look at them. They're brand new. But uh, Yeah. It's like like my craft radios. There's a 71, 72, 73, 74, <laughs> and they're all one after each other. And they're all in a glass box with a plaque. If any of your listeners out there, I haven't got a signature series, which is the personalised, handmade one they used to make for oh. people. You could ring up Mr. Craft and get your signature series, and it was made specifically for you. I don't have a signature series transmitter in my collection, and I'd love one. Okay, so if anyone's got one and they want it's to get the only one it, I don't have, donate yeah. it to the Michael Timms Museum. Just get in contact with me here at Flat Out RC. Visit the flatoutrc.com.au website. Send me a message or a Facebook. Get the Facebook Flat Out RC. Send me a message, and uh, we'll see if we can get Michael a craft signature, signature series. series radio. Glenn Orchard's got one, but he won't sell it to Stop me. Stop mentioning his name. <laughs> don't mention his name. We're not mentioning Glenn anymore. Glenn okay. Orchard, you're not invited to the podcast because we're sick of talking about him. We don't need him. We've covered him. We've, we've talked about him enough. Yep. Yeah. Well, the Wang Jets event it was my. I've been what I've visited once as a visitor, and the second time I flew. And and um, yeah, I'm already planning next year's jaunt. I think I'm going to try to be there for for the full time, the four days or whatever. 
Yep. I'm going to need a holiday by the time I get to that event and um, just enjoy, enjoy yeah. some jet flying, <laughs> burn some fuel. Yeah. Yep. So, so <laughs> when it comes to going to the model field, what's your yeah. sort of go-to model, do you reckon? What's the one that gets more work than others? Um. It'd be either the the boomerang Elaine or the tiger moth. So the old faith. It, it, yeah, it it just depends what we're doing. You know, like yeah, you know, the the Elaine's got smoke on it, so it's nice to just go out there on a really bright blue sky up here and just just draw lines in the sky with it. Chemtrails. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Flick the switch, turn the chemtrails on, and you know, I I use it as my sort of everyday go to airplane, I suppose. Yeah. Because it's such a it's such a pleasure to fly. Yeah, I was going to say like that kind of jet platform always works. Yeah, I mean it was I think it was Shep Scale Rally about four years ago. The Saturday absolutely blew a gale and was raining, and not much was happening. So I just said to the guys, "Can I get my Elaine out?" Because there were a lot of people in the crowd. So I just flew the Elaine in this atrocious weather because it's just so rock solid. Yeah, it wasn't a scale aeroplane, but at least they saw aeroplanes fly, and it's like, well, yeah, yeah, they're still making them, so I can get another one. So you know, we'll go out and fly it. So we we we've come to the end, and and it's the final question, and it's the question that everybody can't wait to hear, and it's probably one of the most difficult questions that I ask people because they always give me stupid answers. Sometimes, you know, I ask them for the the model that is that has been their favourite model, that one model. I've had people that give me one, twos, and threes. I've had people give me different favourite models in different categories. The answer, the question is, what has been your favourite model, not models? Let's see if Michael Timms can actually deliver on that question. Michael Timms, what has been your favourite model? To be honest, for the for the absolute fun that it is to fly and and the character that it's got. I would have to say out of everything I've owned, and there's been some expensive aeroplanes and helicopters there, it's actually a foam stop sign with with um, Snoopy on it that was built by a fellow modeler who used to be in our club many, many years ago, and I ended up with it with an OS46FX on the front. It's got tailor-ons, and it is just the most fun thing to fly yeah, that's just great fun, which is something very different. I, I'm absolutely – I can't believe such an important question and you've answered it with a foam stop sign with a Snoopy on it. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's foam sheeted in, in very thin ply. It's got tricycle undercarriage. It doesn't even have nose wheel steering. And no rudder, no nothing. It just, but it loops, rolls, flies inverted. It's just an aeroplane with, it shouldn't fly, but it's complete character. And yeah, on top of all my jets that I love, it's probably, you know, it sits up there as as one of the most all-time fun things I've had. Just absolutely crazy. This podcast has gone to new (laughs) new places that I never thought I'd ever go on a podcast that... I just can't believe that that would be your favourite model with all the other models that you've talked about, the Tiger Moth, the jets, the helicopters, yep. everything. You've got a foam ply-covered stop sign. I just 
Yeah, with Snoopy. Snoopy's on the top of it as the directional Ladies control. Ladies and gentlemen, we just have a heard from Michael yep. Kims. We now understand. Don't go near him because he's lost the plot. <laughs> but I don't flight mode five. Yeah, you should. Well, maybe you should actually, I should. Uh, <laughs> Wang Jets next year, you should say... Ladies and gentlemen, I'll get on the microphone. Ladies and gentlemen, Michael Tim's going to do a demonstration of Mode 5 flying today. If you don't know what that is, it's when you reverse yep. your elevator. So down is up and back is down. Up is down and down is up. Up is down. Yeah. Well, you think about it on a car, you push forward to go up and pull back to stop. So that's that's how my uh, brain thought as a 12-year-old. It's interesting. With now these um, sequential shifters on you know race cars and things like that, like the V8 supercars, mm. to go up a gear is back, so you go up, to go down a gear is yep. forward. So it's a bit like a – but sorry, you could yeah. show them. You could show them. Well, you, you, yeah, well, I, I actually – I stood my transmitter standing vertically up on the table, and if you push the stick up, the elevator went up. If you push the stick down, the elevator went down. Yeah, I thought that yeah. was normal. And as we've realised, you're not normal. <laughs> uh, Michael <laughs> – I, well, I'll tell you what, it, it's been interesting that that love and that passion for, for aviation, like you said, has been there from, from very early on. And that's that's an interesting topic in itself, that, yep. that you know, that passion for aviation, where it comes from. But, but um, yeah, your story has been a, a very, very unique one. Out of all the podcasts, it's been very unique. So on behalf of Glenn Orchard and myself, I'd like to thank you for, for, for sharing that story <laughs> with us because uh, it was extremely enjoyable. No worries. Been a pleasure. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Michael Timms for joining me. I really, really enjoyed that chat. I am going to get him back on because he's got some... um, great ideas around training people and I suppose drawing on his full-size flying and education uh, I, I think that we need to get him back to talk about you know teaching people how to fly but effectively uh, and we had a chat after the, the, the recording in Sydney I'd love to do that so uh, always good to get some some of the repeat guests I, I, I'm, I'm gonna be honest I, I, I'm having a lot of difficulty in trying to find guests because uh, a lot of people just don't respond and then some that do don't want to uh, don't want to be on air because they get a bit nervous or something but everybody will tell you that's been on his podcast that it's uh, just about having a chat so send me through anybody that you might know that you think would have a, a great story to tell and doesn't even to be great as you know every person's got a story and we've heard michael tim's story today which is a classic and there's plenty of classic stories out there so thanks for joining me don't forget to subscribe to the podcast don't forget to subscribe to the youtube channel Facebook, Instagram, Instagram's firing still, still getting up there. Uh, Cracked 8,000 followers, which is pretty good for an aero modeling podcast slash media outlet slash whatever you want to call it. Anyway, I'll be back next week. Got to find a guest, but there'll be something. I'll be back. Anyway, have a great week. Hope you're getting out for a fly. Yeah.